Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mino Lion Media presents Business First. Hi, all, and welcome to a new episode of Business First with Sonia Aline. I am your host. And today, we are going to talk with a socially conscious fashion designer. Her name is Lenore Brute. Welcome, Lenore. Hello, Sonia. How are you today? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Good, good, good. Well, I enjoyed uh, meeting you, and you are our pre-interview or pre-conversation was was pretty enlightening. Uh, I, I love the work that you do. I love that you're a creative spirit, uh, but I also love that you have become really socially conscious in the things that you have designed. And so we're going to get a little, we're going to start off talking about your background, and then I want you to introduce uh, to the audience some of what we discussed earlier and, and things that people should be aware of in terms of when we think about fashion, we think about how good we look in an item and how we love clothes and how we like to fill our closets with items and how we never want to be seen wearing that same item twice, particularly in days when, you know, every time you're, you're being photographed, you might end up on a social media page. So you always want to look dazzling. You always want to look fresh. Um, but you gave me something else to think about um, in our conversation when you spoke about um what happens to recycled clothes when we give our clothes away? And so actually, I think we're going to start there um, in terms of uh, if you could share with the audience uh, what you shared with me about where our clothes go to die when we think we're giving them to uh, someone else. So we can consider the companies we buy from on the onset because there are plenty of brands right now that are taking some of these uh, recyclable clothes and incorporating them into their collections. Even mainstream brands, I think, I believe H&M has a collection of repurposed clothing. It's a small capsule, but it is it does happen. But when we buy something, we keep it in our closet for a while. We wind up not really using it or not loving it. Sometimes it still has tags on it. You send it to the thrift shop. I'm going to donate it. You feel good about yourself. You get a little tax break if you're being mindful. They'll give you a receipt to fill out. And that's all you think of. It's gone. Sometimes when you're in the thrift shop, you pick up something else as well. The problem is a lot of the thrift shops, they don't take all of your items. Things that aren't very sellable or perfect get kind of binned in a lot and then eventually shipped to other countries. The one that was uh, that we spoke about was Ghana because that's the one that I've seen so many visuals on. I, I'd imagine that you've seen them since our conversation. I have. It's really, really the long shots of the actual dumps are unbelievable. And then random fires being set in them to burn clothes that aren't even, they're synthetic. There's a lot of synthetics, horribly polluting the air and the water. And I think in, uh, I'm not sure which country you can actually see the, um, I can't remember, and I, I will try to, the garbage dump is right on the beach. It's right next to the water. 
So it, they're burning it and this, and it's going right into the ocean. It's not even in the center of the land and it's not being buried properly. So, so, so take us from, from, from the beginning, right? So I have, I have some things in my closet that I haven't worn, some with the tags on, like you mentioned. And then there's some things that you know, have some pills on them, might have a little stain on it. Um, but instead of throwing it away, I'm going to give that to the Salvation Army. They may pull the things that, that still have the tags on them and take those. Mm-hmm. But then they're going to take the things that have the stains on them yes. or that, that are or, or maybe a little torn. And they're going to package those and they send them off. Yes. To countries like Ghana. Yes. Right. And so what does God, what happens when Ghana receives these these packages? We often receive them in hundred pound parcels that are sealed. In Ghana, there are people that purchase them to supply their own stores. It's prestigious to have uh, good quality clothing from the United States. And it really fuels income for women, uh, women that are trying to add some supplement to their household, some women that are running the whole household, and communities of women who do this as a collective. So they'll have a store, five women supply it. The investment is, say, $50 for a $100 uh, bin. They don't get to sort through the clothing. They have to take it as is. So it's a gamble. They're pooling their money, $50. They get 100 pounds. They open it up. If there are things that are not of good quality, which you can imagine happens often because the supplier doesn't care. They're going to get paid either way. There's no return on this. You can't say, well, there's 10 pieces here that aren't, doesn't matter. You have to buy it sight unseen. Those pieces go right into uh, a landfill. And there's not enough space or um, there are not enough programs in place to do anything with it. So it winds up getting burned or just left. So- and I, I don't know when you discovered this information, but you, from actually a very young age, always was interested in um, repurposing items for the sake of, of fashion. And so tell us a little bit about your journey in terms of, and, and we'll bring it all back, like why this is is so important. Um, and I always find it interesting when, when people start off with a certain either calling or a certain sense of inspiration that is so connected to a a bigger challenge, um, you know, that we're all faced with, but you had no idea what that was when you were, when you were starting your creative journey. Not at all. I was small. My mom used to take us to thrift shops and she would give me a little, little extra money so I can pick out things for myself, always gravitating towards things with sparkles, a lot of the things from the fifties sweaters. And I got really comfortable going through thrift shops and finding things that I actually still own from 10 years old, I still have them. Not even toys, but actual garments, trinkets that were just inspiring to me. And then I would reuse them for other things. So I would take the sequins off of purses and add them onto my shirts. There was always this kind of idea or seeing that this thing has some beauty and value that I couldn't describe and I could put it onto other things. It didn't just have to exist in that one space. So um, as I got older, Literally used to go to thrift shops from like 10 in the morning to four in the afternoon, go home and take a, a disco nap, go into Manhattan. I grew up on Staten Island, get get into Manhattan around 10 at night and sell some of these vintage clothing pieces from 10 at night to one in the morning on St. Mark's Place. And then I go take the money and go to nightclubs and, <laughs> and do all of those kind of things. 
but there was a there was a desire for a lot of people just wanted pure vintage. They're like, this is valuable. This suit can go someplace in my own life. And then I found myself buying things that I could see transform. Nothing ever looked like garbage to me. Even if it was a ratty t-shirt, there's a logo on it that I could chop up the letters and then sew them on the garments. It was never in my mind that anything should be thrown away. I had no idea that that would become a movement that people would see things that way. And then all of my uh, cravings, desires, and focus wound up really coming into focus in the last five years that I could see, oh, I was given this feeling for this moment. It makes perfect sense to me that people are seeing that we have to stop making so much stuff. If you have a company and you're making thousands of pieces of the exact same thing, you know there's going to be waste. But your conversation sent me down the rabbit hole, and I was stunned to learn that we actually give away, the U.S. throws away about one billion pounds of clothing. And so, and and again, like I said, it's something we don't think about. Like how many of our friends we think about, you know, clearing our closets, right? We talk about it all the time, whether it's for the new year or a new season, and we just keep picking things up, whether we're going to wear them or not, just just in case. And you know, you were saying that you were able to you build wardrobes <laughs> based on these things that are that are recycled. And even even with simple things like leggings. Like mm. right before I spoken to you, I told a friend of mine, you can never have too many pairs of leggings. And you were saying we spend so much money, yep. right, on leggings that some we wear, some we don't wear. Mm. But you were able to even recreate yes. a pair. Yes. Once you have a pair of leggings that fit you perfectly, you can just uh, reverse engineer. You could take them apart if they're starting to get a little knotty and use your t-shirts, cut out the pattern and hand stitch it if you don't have a sewing machine. It's not hard. Sewing is- You're saying it's not hard. (laughs) It really is. You think about, this is something most human beings have some- relationship with if some if a button falls off most people can sew it on this yeah i think it's a a skill everybody should have just for some basic things i'm going to tell you a scary story don't judge my grandma but she was a nurse (laughs) and i lived with her for a year in florida i'm I'm having fun i'm 10 years old my grandma is amazing and she's a wild woman who also taught me how to crochet and knit and all these uh embroider so if there was a shirt that had a little stain on it, we're embroidering flowers on it. She's not buying me another shirt. Mm. She's like, let's make it pretty. Let's crochet little collars on things to zhuzh things up rather than going to get a fancy dress. We can we can put some crochet elements on the old dress you already have or take her old dress and reduce the size of it. So I had a um, an accident and fell off of a you know, jungle gym at school. And I had a really bad gash on my foot. And my grandma's like, well, I was completely beside myself. I was terrified of going to a hospital. And she said, well, I'm a nurse. I can teach you how to sew it back up. (laughs) And I'm like, it actually made sense to me, except for it was on the outside of my foot. So I couldn't reach it. She taught me how to sterilize all of the equipment because she had equipment because she was a nurse. And she said, I can do it. I was like, no, I want to do it myself. But I really couldn't get to that. So it was the outside of my foot, so I couldn't do it. So she taught me how to do a pinch and twist. Like, well, when people are in wars and they don't have needles, this is how they close wounds until they could get to the hospital. And something about it is like everything that she taught me has some application somewhere else. 
I never thought, well, this is a dire circumstance that I can't pull myself out of. Wow. Figure it out. I know uh, there's a book Marie Forleo has, Everything is Figureoutable. Her mom used to say that. My grandma was like that. She's like, wow. it's a nasty cut. So, but you, but you were willing to try it yourself. Yes, because I like I wouldn't have been able to look at the cut, but you were willing to say, you know what? All right, if you're saying we can fix this, let's see how we can fix this. Because I knew how to sew well, I had a really good hand with the needle. She's like, you could do this. It's not that big a deal. I'm like, maybe I'll try it. And if it was on the inside of my foot where I could reach, I would have. You would have tried it. And so did your grandmother stitch up that wound? She just did a pinch and twist and took me to the hospital the next day because she wanted to make sure all the glass was out. Right, right. But that, but in that, in that moment, you learned? That we could really, we need to know how to sew. It's <laughs> like little things, like some, the button or your foot or the hem of your dress before you're going out or even putting elements of your house together. There's a hole in happening in the side of your couch, just a little whip stitch. And then you yeah. can make it even prettier by adding contrasting thread. There's just yeah. applications that we don't think about that these things apply to in our right. life. And because we don't think about it, we don't consider where did that garment come from and how did it get assembled? Who did that work? We yeah. know now that children in third world countries are not getting educated, mostly women, mostly little girls. Are because they are sewing. Because right. they're sewing. And they're not even sewing things that they're able to afford yeah. or to keep. And then we all know about the fire in Bangladesh when the fire started inside of the factory. The owner locked the door so they couldn't get out because he didn't want anyone sneaking out and trying to get out of work. Right. And 400 people perished. So we have to yeah. think about not just where it's going, but why it's being made and who is it servicing and is it excessive? So if you go into a store and you find a pair of leggings and they're $4.99, you have to think about, wow, that covered the cost of fabric, elastic, thread, labor, and transportation. Who's who's the person getting the least amount in that in that equation? Going back even to the lesson that you learned um, from your grandmother you know, we're all grateful for technology and we're grateful for all the ways that technology um, does allow us to, to think anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. So my friends and I joke about how, you know, no one knows how to read a map right. today. Right. No, there, there's so many things that we don't know how to do um, because we just we have so many, you know, technological pieces that will do it for us. And, you know, it reminded me as well when I was in Cuba, you know, if their car breaks down, like there's no AAA. To, so they go to their trunk and they have the water, they have the tools, they have, every, they even have a change of clothing because they know that they may have to, right. you know, get dirty and get underneath the car. Right. And they have water to wash their hands. Like everything is in the back of the trunk right. because they recognize that they have to, um, they have to be self-sufficient. Yeah. And so um, that's a huge lesson that you learned from your grandmother. Yeah, and, and, and to be able to know you're capable of caring for your own self then extends to how you can take care of other people. Of other people. Yeah, it's like cooking. I can't imagine not knowing how to cook. Right. A lot of young people aren't learning. It's fast food is ubiquitous instead of just a treat or just in an emergency. It's, it's, it's what people actually look forward to having. And then you don't know how to take care of yourself. 
Right. It's not even something that it should be a college course. It should be just from elementary school because of I'm 56. I know when we were in school, we all learned how to cook. Remember, they we had to learn home economics. <laughs> I learned how to like do some actually was yeah. how to sew because yeah. I already knew how to sew by the time I was in junior high school. Yeah. Um, how to wash your dishes, how to clean your body. All of these things are missing yeah. because there's an assumption that someone's doing it at home. So at what point did you realize that, you know what, I could actually sell this stuff? Like I can sell the things that I'm making. I could sell these creations that people might be interested in the work that I'm doing. Oh, from wearing it, because I was only thinking about making things for myself. Say like if I'm going to a nightclub three days a week and I only have a couple outfits, I, I better chop this up and make it into something else. <laughs> and then someone's saying, wow, that, that's amazing. Where did you get that? Oh, I made it. Well, could you make me one? Well, let's take what you have and chop it up and make something out of what you already have. That was one angle. And then also this gigantic uh, hoard of thrifted things that I have really came in handy. And then specifically the jewelry was what was catching people. That's what I focused on the most. And um, it was literally people, I'm a buyer for this store. Could you make you know a collection? And I'm like, I guess I didn't even know that I could. I was 20. Um, I would try it. And it worked. You also had some celebrities who had seen your work and, and wanted to, again, wanted you to make some things for them. Yeah. Tell us some of those stories. My favorite one is Andre 3000. I was working uh, as an assistant stylist, excuse me, from Outcast, my brother. I'm going to start that over. My brother's... <laughs> He's actually more media savvy than I am, right? Um, when was that? I don't even know what time that was, that time period. Outcast was releasing their second album, right? It was Stentonia, third, fourth album? Okay. Well, he's a historian too. He, he's, he actually worked with that on that album, like with the okay. engineer for that album. So <laughs> he knows a little bit, but he's good at numbers. I'm not as good. Okay. So when Outcast was working or getting ready to do their publicity tour for Stangonia. They had to do a lot of press. And I was hired as an assistant to the stylist that was working on the, I think it was the spin cover, spin magazine. And Andre 3000 saw one of my cuffs. I had a, a leather beaded cuff bangle thing on. And he said, wow, I want that. And I'm like, this is mine. And he said, uh, well, could you make me two? I don't want one. I want two. And I'm like, I guess I could. I never thought that I could even sell this because the beadwork is very intricate. And I didn't even know how I would, you know, get it to look like mine, but not exactly because he said he wanted it specifically to wear on the Grammys and, uh, and Saturday Night Live. Those things were happening in the same week. So I, I had to hurry. I got some old leather. I had to go find a place to put snaps on it. And then I actually uh, made one. And then I was like, do I make this exactly like mine or do I make it a little bit different? So I sold that one. And then I made another set just for him. Had them shipped out to California and he did wear them on the Grammys or he wore them to the Grammys. He had them under his coat. I just found a bunch of images. of. And then he was on Saturday Night Live. So he calls me and he's like, I'm going to be in New York. And uh, I'm going to be wearing your cuffs. And 
uh, it's uh, on Thursday. I'm like, no, it's on Saturday. He goes, no, 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 I'm coming in on Thursday. And then I'm going to wear them through the rehearsals. Like he was really fixated on these cuffs. And it was like surreal to see him on Saturday Night Live with no shirt on. And he's bouncing and he's putting his wrist right up to the camera and smiling. And then when he gets off the stage, like, did you see them? <laughs> I never guessed that that would happen. And it's literally because I love to wear my own stuff. I love the way it feels. I feel protected. It's infused with my energy. And then I'm surprised that other people feel that energy as well. And so, so how would you explain your creative process? Do you think about things and then don't go seek out um, particular items? Or do you see items and then feel inspired? Or do you just sit down and things start coming to you? A little bit of both. But sometimes my favorite way is to see something and I'm like, oh, I'll see one element of it and then that will expand. If I'm, I hope I'm explaining that well. So if I see a shirt and it's very floral and has designs, one flower will stand out and I'll get the whole shirt just to get that flower because I know the rest is going to be used for something else. And then that flower becomes the focal point. Sometimes it's the shape. Sometimes it's the color. Then I add my own touch into it and it could be a hat. It could be a scarf. I've been making face masks or it can wind up on a piece of jewelry or I do beaded bottles and sometimes I use fabric pieces too. So it's, uh, it's like collage. Everything feels like collage. You can take any element from any random source and then make something new with it. When I was 10, 10, 11 years old, I won a national art contest and the, the prize was your painting or your piece got to be in the Met. So I had a collage in the Metropolitan Museum of Art when I was 11, 12 years old, something like that. But that collage came from saving up National Geographic magazines, um, gift cards, Women's Day magazine, um, a lot of uh, tissue paper and paper from gifts. Because I'd open up a package and the gift sometimes didn't matter. There was the swirly metallics in the wrapping paper that was so thrilling to me. So nothing got thrown away. Even, wow. even the inserts inside of pantyhose. I remember that really clearly because when we would get tights, they would have that <laughs> square, but it was curved at the edge. I thought this could be something else. And then I would do watercolors on them and make cards and gifts for other people. I just didn't think anything should be thrown away. <laughs> Wow. So what what is it that goes on in your mind when you see these things? Is it just that you would, like you said, you would notice the, 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 the paper instead, like you, most kids are ripping open the bag, tossing whatever is stuffing the bag to get to the gift, yeah. but you could actually see it all as a gift. Yeah. And so, which is such a beautiful thing. Where do you think that, no, not where do you think, but like, how does your mind see it? My family actually makes fun of me because I open packages very, very carefully. I don't want to ever rip it. Since I was very little, like take the tape off very carefully and then fold the paper because I knew there was something beautiful there. I see everything in its potential, not just what it is, but what it can potentially be. There's just, and I mean, it extends to everything. When I, I, was just telling someone, okay, I'm going to show this. This is a bottle that I got. The actual bottle comes from Trader Joe's and it has my one of my favorite uh, vinegar. 
And I just love the shape of the bottle that I'm like, okay, I have to come up with recipes and I can use the vinegar so I can have a set of these bottles because I knew how the beads could lay on them. And it's, wow. it's just- And so if you could just describe the beads for our audience, what you actually did with that jar. Yeah, these are- With the bottle. Yeah, these are size 11 seed beads that I've been collecting most of my life. And I use them as mosaic. Instead of tiles, I use the beads in the same fashion. They're glued down and then they're filled in with other mediums. And usually, it's, yeah. It's beautiful. Thank you. Um, it looks Native American, which you actually shared a Native American story when we spoke earlier. I'm just, I just fall up and stuff. I needed a roommate many years ago. The woman that was at the health food store, my friend Jean said, well, my friend just had a, a ending in her life with her husband. So maybe you guys should be roommates. She's a Mescalero, I believe, Apache and uh, Mexican. And her sons and my son, we all you know, shared the space together. She's a singer in a, a group called Yula Lee, preeminent acapella women's group that uh, has deep, deep roots in North Carolina as well. So there's a connection to African-American um, music as well. So the group is amazing. And I was really inspired to make pieces for them, uh, all the members of the group, but really mainly Sunny. So uh, she would get, she's uh, she's one of the singers, but there's three. Um, she would want earrings and I'm like, oh, let me make you earrings. She needs a neck piece. So let me try to make a neck piece. So I started learning more and more techniques. I would talk to other people that were Apache and ask about what traditionally should she be wearing? What would be appropriate for her age and her ranking? And how is this something that's private and sacred? Or is this something that could be shown in, on stage or in film? And I just got this huge education and I would travel with them. And every time I met another bead worker, it was like an exchange. That's what's beautiful about people. And it's something I see in all people as well. If people know something deeply, they can't wait to share it with someone who's interested. That's how I see everything, okay? I'm seeing the little piece of paper again that I want to make a collage out of. There's an interaction with the person who gave it to me. Deep respect for every part of the gift from what's inside, the box that it's in, and the paper that it's wrapped with moves my heart. So when I make something out of it and then I can share it with someone and then they tell me something about their culture, it's it's beautiful. That's how I see the world. So it makes sense that all of your items are one of a kind. They would have to be. Yeah. They feel like people too. <laughs> they feel like an energy, like, okay, this is that thing. And I don't have to make another one because it exists. And I feel the energy from it. People, when they get the pieces, they feel the energy. They're like, it just feels precious to me. And that's exactly what I'm going for, which makes it hard to price things because I, I don't feel like the money exchange can really uh, ever be equal. I have, I don't remember how many hours things take. It's hard to be a professional in this. I always have to get someone else to help me get clear about how do we monetize this so I'm not working a thousand hours for $10. And so that's interesting. So because when you're working, you said you hardly recognize how long something takes. So you are in the zone when you're creating. Yeah. Don't eat sometimes. I did um I did bead work for baby fat. The, I don't even remember. I think it was was it 96, 95? Um, 
they it was one of Kimura's first collections, Kimura Simmons I, at that time. Um, she had a everything was pretty much t-shirts, jeans, and things like that. And then one this one collection, she wanted to level it up into really beautiful pieces that just went a, a little outside of the norm. Um, I was hired to do the beadwork for that collection. And whew, the, I, when I tell you the, the level of attention that I had to pay to make sure things were done and then colors would change, colorways would change, I have to do the whole thing over. I hired other people, but I wanted everything to be just right. So there was a lot of going over things. And in one week, I lost seven pounds. I just wasn't eating. All I was doing was this. My arm was tired. <laughs> My back was tired, but I couldn't even focus on that. I just wanted it to be precise. So to then see the fashion show and see Kamara wearing the dress with this beaded medallion in, in the center, and that was part of the campaign um, imagery, it was like, all right, it felt worth it. And how much money did I make? <laughs> I don't remember, but I actually, it was it was good compensation, but it didn't matter. The goal was just to do really meticulous work. And I think they were happy. I also um, got a chance to create a little bit outside of um, just the designs that we, we agreed on. I got to make a, a poncho, a beaded poncho and a corset, which they wound up buying from me and keeping. So... So I was going to ask if someone were interested in purchasing anything, yeah. um, if you could talk about the range of items that you create. Yeah. The things that are mostly on my website are um, earrings because these are the the, the best selling um, component right now. They're uh, reclaimed leather. So and what's interesting is I started it from buying a dress, as I was telling you, in a thrift shop in New Mexico. And the dress has just been a gift that just kept giving $5 in a thrift shop. And then a million earrings came from it and purses and um, little amulet bags. But then I continued. All right. So I see a pair of leather pants in a thrift shop. Do the same thing. What different kinds of suede and leathers, uh, how they react to the scissor was amazing. So then it just expanded to necklaces and armbands, headpieces, everything. So the thing that gets uh, the most attention and people are most interested in purchasing are earrings, which are still one of a kind. And um, I paint them. I embellish them with beads, sometimes studs. I love things that jingle. I love things that uh, swish. So you'll see a lot of that. And that's on my website, which is lenorestore.com, www lenorestore.com. Lenore spelled with a Y, L-Y-N-O-R-E. And, and I have, I actually get a lot of sales just from Instagram. I'll post something I'm working on and before I'm even finished, someone's in the DMs like, it's mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, for maybe 10 years, I was doing trunk shows. That's probably the best way to share all of the pieces. So I'll have some bottles, which are in the thousands. I'll have bracelets that are in you know, like 500, 250 to 500 range. And then earrings go from 35 to 150. So lots of earrings go. A few bottles get um, purchased and also commissions come from that. And 
I sell maybe one or two bangles here and there. I love to keep them. So when they don't sell. (laughs) (laughs) They're beautiful. I'm going to urge everyone to go to your Instagram and to your website so they can actually see um, the beautiful work that you create. Uh, What do you feel is next for Lenore Rute? I want to thank you for asking that because I'm in the process of really considering that. I'm really wanting to go back to my collage roots, but maybe make things that uh, incorporate a little more detail. Because when I was younger, the collages were, you know, fairly big pieces of paper that I cut out. But I kind of want to take a little bit of the beadwork and the sewing to add into that paperwork. I want to make things a little bit more 3D as well. I like when things come out, you know, like not too out, but just enough that it has texture and form and it feels like you want to touch it. So you want to do more display or or would it also be wearable art, more display? I kind of want to do art that is just for its own sake. I do want to make a few coats this winter. I have I have a someone gifted me a big bag of metallic fabric. That's another thing. I have friends that work in the garment industry. When they get test leathers for one purse, they'll pull, pull out every single red they can find from the leather store, cut swatches. They don't use that leather, they throw it away. So I've been gifted tons and tons of leather, but last year I got a ton of metallic fabric. So I kind of want to make puffer coats out of it because I have a ton of coats. Sounds stunning. (laughs) Make sure I let you see it before anyone else. (laughs) Absolutely. I can already imagine what that might look and feel like. (laughs) Really, uh, I want to try it. I've never made one, but I know I can because I can sew. You can sew, right? So you, I, I think you're encouraging many of us to start. Well, I can sew. I can hem. I can, mm-hmm. I can sew a button on. I think that if I were in any trouble, um, any any wardrobe malfunction, I think I'd be able to to fix it. So I am, I am grateful for that. And I am so grateful that you came and spent some time with us. Um, I learned so much. Um, you opened up my eyes to. Um, to some social things that, that, that we all need to be concerned about in the world and particularly in places like Ghana. I think you had even mentioned that, was it the president of Rwanda who actually decided to stop having um, our cast-offs, our fashion cast-offs um, being sent to his country. And so um, we hope Ghana can will be able to do the same thing, but if, if we stop it here, then it won't be an issue yeah. um, for the people there. That's that's a great way of thinking about it. And also to to when you buying things, it's even worth spending a little bit more money on a really good item instead of buying a bunch of little cheap things just to fulfill some kind of need. Like I passed an H&M and I still want to go in and buy something quick and cheap. But what usually happens is it doesn't fit. It's bad fabric. And then you wind up chucking it. Spend a little bit more money. Go to a local designer. That's the way I'm really living. It's like someone will say, I saw this dress. I want it to be made out of better fabric. Mm-hmm. I got to make a wedding dress three years ago, and she wanted it made with fabric that was um, represented her heritage. And it was it was hard, but I did it, and it came out beautiful, and she was really happy with it. And it was a dress she could wear again. 
So a lot of lessons here learned, uh, Lenore. Thank you so much. I feel inspired. I, I'm sure the audience will too. And um, yeah, I look forward to staying in touch and seeing all your new designs. And I encourage the audience to do the same thing. Let us know your website and your uh, social media again. Yes, it's Lenore Store is the website, www.lenorestore.com. And I'm Lenore Rute, or you can hit Lenore Store on Instagram. I'm there. I'm there. Okay, That's all right. So the work gets seen. Well, hopefully more will be seen. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. This has been, this is the first time I've done this. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you for being here. You take care. You too. And thank you all for listening. The Business First Podcast is hosted and produced by Sonia Lee. Associate producer, Ariel Mancibo. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find the Business First Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. And on social at business underscore first underscore podcast on IG. The Business First Podcast is a mean old line media production. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.